This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, and welcome again to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Hey everybody. Hi Nigel. How are you? Hi. I'm well. How are you? Good, good to see good, you good. again. Yeah, good to see you again too. I'm here with uh, Nigel Vogt, who I uh, knew from my days at PwC and uh, when he was the head of financial services at PwC. So what are you doing these days, Nigel? Having a little bit of leisure, putting <laughs> my feet up a bit, but actually building a portfolio of non-exec directorships. One or two opportunities being explored with some central banks around the world with a view to helping them and still involved in the sector, but nothing full-time. I just want to be helping and developing ideas with uh, startups and some established players. Sounds very, very interesting. So I had a few questions that I wanted to discuss with you, given that you know, you've been in the industry for many, many years. The reimagination of banking, it's something mm. that people have been talking about for, for a while and probably have been talking about from before I was in, in the sector. So how do you see banks evolving their business over the next two to five years? It's an interesting question because I think prior to 2008 to the crisis, I mean, banks were product push organizations. And post that crisis, you know, people recognize that product push organizations weren't going to be a success. And have talked a lot about customer centricity, focusing in on the customer. But it hasn't happened. You know, the pressure from regulation, the pressure to recover their balance sheets has just been the focus of the CEOs. And it's only recently since Donald Trump came into power, you know, the regulatory pressure has come off a little bit and, you know, not gone away by any stretch, but certainly slowed down a bit. That CEOs have been able to sit back and think about where they're going to take up their business. And that is actually an exciting time to be involved in financial services because now you're looking to the future. What does that mean? What does customer centricity mean? And I don't think any financial institution's got that right yet because customer centricity is really supporting the lifestyle of the customer, corporate as well as individuals, by the way. I mean, you know, a corporate entity has a lifestyle and growth, decline. They all have a lifestyle. And And the financial institutions need to find a way to support that. I think the other side of it is that the financial institutions, despite the regulation and so on, have had real pressure and continue to have real pressure on the cost base. So we're going to see new models and technology is allowing us to develop new models and the way the banks operate. So what you see as a bank today won't be recognizable as a bank in five to 10 years time. What is a bank? You know, what does a bank do for society you know, the old adage, a bank is a leverage play on the economy it serves. Well, what's the economy? What's it actually do to actually serve that economy? And how does it do it in an efficient way that actually makes money? And how does it technology enable that to happen? And you know from the business you're in that banks were early adopters of technology for managing data and managing their businesses. Right. But now it's old and clunky. And it's a very expensive option to just replace it. And you've had a period where banks haven't been making money and continue not to really make money. How do they afford to replace it? So what are the options? How do they actually move their business models to more efficient back-officing, processing of data, and also become customer-centric? 
and really become part of a customer's ecosystem. You know, that's the holy grail. Anyone who actually gets to being able to serve you as a customer and what your lifestyle is and anticipate your needs and help you with it is really going to win in this market. But that has not been solved yet. Yeah, and, and to that point, I mean, you hear all the time that data is the new oil, quote-unquote, of the future. Mm-hmm. And, and when I think about what you just said, yeah, they have all these systems, they have all these data, but the systems are clunky, so the data is not that accessible. How do you think data will impact the FX business, particularly when you think that there's other players they have better and easier access on data because they were born a generation after the banks. Well, you've just asked about three questions in one. Yeah, well, and and, and that's fine because if you think about GDPR, that's a real issue for use of data because the banks don't even know where they know about you. So how are they going to actually allow you to tell them to use your data, etc., because they don't even know. Their data systems are all over the place. They can't join up the dots in terms of knowing about you. So that's one issue. You've got new entrants into the markets and everyone talks about Amazon and Google and everybody else. Are they really the competitors? I'm not so sure. But they haven't got the 30 years of history of data and management of systems. They're more agile. They they can actually mine the data in a far more efficient way. So a bank's challenge is, I've got a lot of data about you. I've got to somehow consolidate it. I've then got to work out what that really means in terms of real time and what then I can do with it to actually provide a better service to you, a customer. That's a huge challenge because it, you know, the data itself, sorting it out, is huge. I mean, I went to see a fintech in Israel and he said, oh, we can do all this and we can work out what the customer's going to do and everything else. And I said, but how do you do that? And he goes, oh, the data the banks have got. And I said, but the banks don't have the data like that. You're about five to ten years ahead of yourself in terms of the ability for the banks to use your, your tool. No bank has got the data in the way you think you've got it. It's not as simple as, here it is, off you go. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work to be done in the bank to actually sort the data out with a view to putting it into these systems, even if you then knew what you were going to do with it. So this idea of big data being the answer Yes, because I could tell you an awful lot more about you. But unless I know why I want to do it, and I've got a a model of what customer centricity means to me as a bank, and what I really want to do to serve you as a customer base, what am I going to do with that data? How do I use it? Is it the chicken or the egg? To that point, exactly. I mean, figuring out what you want to do and what you want to be, and then how you're going to enable yourself to be what you want to be mm. uh, when you're a financial institution. What role do you think the large incumbent financial institutions are going to be playing in the future? I what, mean, what are they I, going I'm, to be? I'm optimistic about their roles in society. I just don't think whether they be recognizable as the organizations they are today. I think they'll be far more focused on their areas of business that they're really good at, and they'll be out of the businesses they're not so good at. Now, that may be geographically based. It may be demographically based. It may be to do with the business sectors, particular individuals, client groups or whatever, because at that point you can start using data to actually provide a better service. So I don't know what hobbies you've got, but if you have a particular hobbies and someone came along and helped you with those hobbies in the financial services sector, why would you go anywhere else? Why would you do something else? You know, if you like doing up properties and you've got a bank that likes doing up properties, you'll go to that bank and they'll help you with it, process. If you've got to go and have your 
decisions to borrow money to do up properties every time second guessed, you're not going to go there. And banks and organizations are going to get far more focused and far more effective in this customer segments they want to serve. And I think, going back to your previous question, that's how they're going to use big data to serve the sectors they want to serve and where they are efficient. And where they're not, they'll sell their businesses and there'll be a reorganization of the banking sector around the sectors and the geographies that people want to serve. So you think that the big incumbents as they are now that tend to go more horizontal in terms of the services they offer, you can see them reorganizing themselves to really focus on whatever that is well, that well, they they're really to good focus at. Because if they're not really good at it, they won't be there. One of the other big social changes that's happening is customer behavior and the way people buy. We talked about it earlier, but when you were making a decision to go into a bank, you sort of went to your bank manager and asked advice and you sort of took that advice and then you made a decision. These days, you make a decision by going on the internet, asking your mates what they think. You've made a decision. You go to the bank manager and you say, this is what I'd like to do. The consequence of that decision-making process is why would you ever go to number five in a market? You can check out the top four. You can make a decision which one you go to. You probably won't go to number one because you don't think you're going to get the service. So you go to number two or three normally, which is why number one never survives as number one. Mm -hmm. But you go to two or three. So if you're number five in a market, you're not a player. You're not going to get there. And the way customer behaviors are changing, you're never going to be successful. So you've got to find another niche. And that's why your focus is going to be important because you can't afford to just play anymore. The old days where that inertia, that lack of information, that perfect model of information is becoming true. And therefore, you're making different decisions on the way people buy from financial institutions in the future. That's actually very, very interesting. It's fascinating. And uh, just as a close, in your career, really, mm -hmm. what trends surprised you the most by, by their success? What trends you are looking back now and you say, wow, that I didn't expect that to be that successful? And why? I think the other answer to that question is the lack of innovation is the answer to your question. I mean, a lot of investment money has gone into innovation, but have we really seen that massive change yet? No. I mean, you know, web pages, that's not really innovation. It's not, it's electronification of your paper statements. What's really changed? I think I'm looking for the changes that will be, you know, I think credit cards have got a shelf life of five years half-life of five years, perhaps. And I think we're going to see much more innovation in the future as the CEOs can look at their businesses and look to the future rather than the past. So I'm not saying that. But I mean, I remember it well, having discussions with some of my management consultants in PwC when HSBC a long time ago went into television banking. Do you remember that? <laughs> and it was a complete failure, but HSBC learned an awful lot from it and ended up selling it. So actually our management consultants who kept saying, oh, it's a crazy idea, crazy idea. People had to experiment and HSBC were at the forefront of that experiment. That's a long time ago. I mean, what's really new and innovating? I don't think we've seen that yet, but I think we're going to see it coming now. I think this is the exciting period. You know, We've come past the crisis. We're 10 years past the crisis. The banks are starting to sort of look to the future now. And that's where it's going to get really exciting. Well, fantastic. I'm really looking forward to this journey. And thank you very much, Nigel. As always, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. 
The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of Motive Partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Motive Partners. Motive Partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by Motive Partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.